Alright, hello, and welcome to Misfits on Vinyl. My name is Spencer Stryker, I'm an actor, comedian, and one of your hosts. My name is Golfy McGolferson, and I golf. <laughs> Aaron just got back from uh, the PGA Tour in Alberta. Yes, uh, the Alberta PGA Tour. Yep. Um, <laughs> the, the pretty good at it <laughs> yeah. golf tour. Pretty golf average, yeah? Pretty golf average, baby! <laughs> and not, not golf of Mexico. Petty Golfing Assholes is actually the name of the tournament. And I won, believe it or not. Ooh! Yeah. Who were you playing with? Uh, my sister-in-law. My bro- well, my sister's fiancé. So, yeah, we golf. Yeah, nice! It was fun. We played nine holes. Nice. Yeah, and I putted every single one of them. Fuck yeah! Yeah, no, it went well. I like, I like golfing. Um... It's okay. I say a lot of swear words when I golf. Um, yeah, and I hit into a lot of trees today. Ooh. Yeah. Um, Which golf course were you Lakeview. On? It's oh, just okay. over by the reservoir there. It's only a nine-hole small course. Yeah, yeah. City course. Um, I didn't get into any sand, though, which is nice. Um, there's no sand at all on the golf course. At the, which is the Lakeview golf yes, course? no sand at all. And I, uh, I, I actually, for the first time ever... I played with one ball the entire round. I did not lose my ball. Wow. So That's pretty impressive. That's, uh, yeah, thank you. Snaps, that's, snaps from that's, the audience. That's going for it. Yeah, that's the best I've ever done. So uh, Okay, so how long have you been golfing for? Um, like four or five years. Nice. Yes. Yeah, and I'm still bad at it. Well, yeah, I don't feel like anybody really gets... Well, we golf with these two guys today, and they like look like they were going to be really good, like fucking... They were all decked out to the eyes. Like, I wore this. Golfing. They had the fucking Titleist gear yeah, on. Yeah, they had, like, all nice golf clubs. And then I introduced myself. I was like, yeah, like, just a fair warning, guys. Like, I'm really shit. And I was like, yeah, me too. And then immediately I go up to the tee box and I smoke a drive right down the middle. <laughs> <laughs> like, fucking 200 yards. Yeah. And they fucking went. One guy went into the lake and the other guy went into the woods. Oh, dude, that's yeah. so funny. I was like, oh, I fucking sandbagged you. Yeah. <laughs> So, and then, uh, was it progressively better after that point, too? No, I got worse. Yeah. <laughs> but that was, like, yeah, my crowning moment. I walk up to the T-Bucks, like, yeah, sorry, guys, just a fair warning, I'm dog shit. And I stripe it right down the middle. Holy shit, yeah. dude. That's super funny. So I'm like, all right, I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take the win. But, yeah, it's, it was fun. I like golfing. It's good every once in a while. It's expensive, though. Now, here's my question for you. What's your, what's your go-to club? Um... Probably Commonwealth. National's pretty good, too. Uh, I hate you so much right now. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't have a go-to club. You don't, you're not going to be like, oh, I, I, I personally like a four-wood? No. I like a, like a five-iron? I like my pitching wedge. There you go, if that makes you happy. I like my putter. I personally like to use my sand wedge. Yeah, nice. Because I'm always in the fucking sand, nice. baby. <laughs> well, honest to God, I've the, the set of golf clubs I have, I bought for thirty bucks uh, this fucking guy that used to come into my work when I used to buy scrap metal for a living. He oh, was yo, a, I remember that a little shady guy. Yeah, I bought him for thirty bucks, and then I take the bag home and I, I'm going through the bag, and there is a fucking. Uh, it belongs to some golf course in Canmore. He stole the bag and sold it to me <laughs> with a full set of clubs. <laughs> Dude, have you ever went to that course? No. No, probably can't. It's like this fucking leather bag. It's really nice. Yeah, it's like a fucking $500 golf bag. Wow. Yeah, it's like all fucking leather, and it had a full set of like clubs in it. Yeah, I paid 30 bucks for it. That's amazing. Yeah. So That's so funny. I uh, When I was in high school, I, I, I played on my golf team. 
uh, I'm also not a good golfer though, but it was it was literally because again, there's the, I grew up in a town where nobody, everybody had to do everything because there was nobody. To well, do it anything. makes sense why you had a golf team. You guys didn't have enough people in school for team sports. That, that's yeah. very true. <laughs> yeah, we, what do you what do you guys play here? We wrestle. We golf. We have a tennis club. Badminton. Badminton. Let uh, me tell you, our, our shuttlecock <laughs> society is going strong, baby. You got a really thriving pickleball league now. Oh, dude. Why is pickleball <laughs> so popular? I don't know. Old people love it. It's such a weird thing. Yeah, it's just, really weird. Just play squash, man. Yeah. What uh, the fuck are you doing? Pickleball is like between badminton, tennis, and like table tennis, I guess. And and squash. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can, it takes a balancer. You can take a balance on it. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Which I also, like, I mean, I, I, I will say I know very little about pickleball, but I do know that it's a lot of old people that play it. Mm-hmm. A lot of old people like to play the pickleball. Apparently it's the fastest growing sport, so. That is wild. Yeah, it's like in North America, it's like the fastest growing sport. And it's crazy because it did kind of come out of nowhere. Yeah. Like, yeah. all of a sudden, I just know one day that, like, all of my friends started playing pickleball. Yeah, one day you roll up to the grocery store and all the Vlasics are gone. Yeah. Like, what the fuck is going on here? I was like, okay, why can't I just have something on my sandwich? Yeah, yeah what the fuck? Why Order's do you guys no need to throw this at a wall and hit it with a racket? Yeah, fair enough. Fucking <laughs> 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 stupid. <laughs> Anyways, my name is not Golfy McGolferson. <laughs> Just to be clear, my name is Aaron, and I am also that, one of your hosts. I forgot about that. We yeah. went five minutes without yes, yes. acknowledging that that I was... I am also one of your hosts, and I'm an actor. So I, feel, I jumped on it before you did. That's the, Yeah, well, yeah. I, 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 and you know what? I'm glad that you did. Yeah. Because I had nothing to say this time. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, speaking of uh, acting in movies... I'm having a really great time right now, currently. Uh, Sarah and I are watching, well, she's watching Lord of the Rings for the first time. Ooh. Yeah, we just watched the second one last night, The Two Towers. Kind of nice. funny, kind of funny. I was looking up the movie and I typed in The Twin Towers and it did not bring me to <laughs> The Lord of the Rings. And I was like, wait a minute, wait I'm a gonna, minute. I'm going to say something about that because when, when it came out, I definitely, I, when I was like six years old, I kept calling it The Twin Towers because that was around the same time the 9-11 happened when that movie came out. And I, you know what, six, seven-year-old Spencer fucking didn't know the difference. <laughs> Zero Dark Thirty, The Search for Sauron. <laughs> <laughs> He's in a cave! <laughs> Osama be elephant. <laughs> yeah, the elephant. The <laughs> elephant. I just want to know what it, the like the meeting that the executives had at the because that came out in O two. Mm-hmm. Like they're like, do we keep the name? Do <laughs> yeah. we change it? <laughs> do, we, do we keep it the same as the book, or do we go? Uh, the, 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 the second best fight in the series, but best according to Spencer. <laughs> we should probably not release it on the 11th of September. The Battle of Helm's clear. Deep. That would have been a great fucking yeah, title yeah, for it. Yeah, that's a good one. Actually. Could have worked great. Could have worked they, great. They stayed true. They did. They did stay true to it. I do. I will say this. I think that, uh, the, like, cause I saw the, like, I, we talked about before mm-hmm. I rewatched them a couple of months ago. And I, I forgot how much I did love the two towers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was the one that I did not have on DVD as a child. Interesting. I like the energy of the fellowship. I think it kind of keeps its like two towers is very like it's got its CGI. It's very serious yeah. where the first one is. Yes, it's serious, but it's got a kind of whimsical nature to it. You're they're explaining the world quite a bit. 
that sort of thing. I enjoy it. But uh, so, are you watching the the director's cuts? No, just the regular just ones. Just the regular yeah, ones. Just the regular you don't want to. You don't want to go through the 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 nine hour marathon of each movie. I would, <laughs> <laughs> but I want to slowly, you know, I'll introduce Sarah to it, and she'll she's enjoying it so far. So, yeah, she's like a lot of walking. <laughs> and she thinks she thinks Frodo and Sam are a little gay. They yeah. are a little gay. Yeah. Are you yeah. kidding me? Like, okay, there's that. Like, my favorite uh, monologue in a movie is when Randall and Clerks Two is shitting on Lord of the Rings compared <laughs> to Star Wars, and he goes, "Here's the first movie walks four feet. Here's the second movie walks and like dips to the side briefly, and then he like he's like, are you ready for the third one? Picks the ring off, throws it down, and just goes, eh." Well, one thing that pissed me off is they make it to Mordor and then they turn around because they can't go through the gate. It's like you already made it here, and now it's another fucking four hours of you trying to make it back. Yeah. They gotta go. They go all the way back to Gondor, and then they fucking they go back. It's like, oh my god. Yeah. That it also. Uh, okay. There's the the moment when they're in Mordor and they're climbing up the mountain mm-hmm. right as the gates open. Right. Yeah. And uh, all I'm thinking is, man, like. You know, the the wraiths are looking for the ring, and, you know, they can apparently smell it no matter wherever they are. And then that giant wraith is riding that, like, dragon thing, Mm -hmm. and it goes right past them, like, eight times, and he doesn't fucking notice them there. I'm like, but he could notice them when, uh, you know, when they're in the middle of nowhere, but, like, right in front of them, he can't notice it. But it's like me when I lose my keys, and then they're on the key hook. It is usually it's the literally, last place you look. It's literally just like that. It's exactly where they're supposed to be, and I've looked everywhere else. I've checked my pants I wore. I've fucking <laughs> gone through the bathroom, and I'm like, oh, it's on the key hook. I never put it there. And then it's, suddenly it's there. So I get it. I get it. They're like, oh, it's, it's a mortar. Shit. I was all the way over in the Shire fucking around, just burning villages. Fuck. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, enough of the Lord of the Rings talk. I will say this. The ending of the whole thing, though, really fucking annoys me when Frodo's just like, I'm going too, Sam. And then Sam's like, no, Mr. Frodo. And then they fucking leave. Sorry, Sam. I'm touching my mic. It's okay. Play with it more. Yeah, I already ripped off one of Play the strings that Sam fixed. Play with it, Daddy. Ooh. I want to see you play with it. Okay. Now now you've gone too far. I haven't gone far enough. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We should probably get into the, the, the first segment of the show. Yes, yeah, so the segment of the show. The uh, Well, first, we have a special segment. Yes. That's not the album that we're covering. Mm. It's got a new it, title this it's, week. It's got a new title this <laughs> week. It's Spencer Spencer's Today in Music History. <laughs> I'm gonna Google all the music history that happened today, and then I'm gonna say it on the podcast in a funny way. Sam didn't do the music history today. Today! Spencer said, I'll do it. We said, okay. Okay! That was actually really good. That was pretty good. (laughs) Uh, That song is because the Vitos said that they enjoyed 
the, the kazoo. So now I will be Spencer Kazooie from now on. As long as it's not like when you play the guitar. On. God, that episode's not even going to be out yet. But no. man, everybody better tune into the one that we do about Taylor Swift. I was working on playing the fuck, dude. I was trying to learn this song for four months. I was doing it. I was doing it low key. It was. It was. Uh. Uh. You belong. Uh. Yeah. yeah. You belong me. Anyways, I swear to God, I'm not kidding. I got it to where I was really happy with how it sounded and everything. Like I'm. <laughs> I'm not kidding. And I was. I was fucking around when I was at Siobhan's parents' place, dog sitting for them. I was playing the guitar every day for like three fucking hours, getting this song down. Started feeling confident, started learning Wheat Kings, was feeling really confident, didn't pick up the guitar for like the week leading up to when we did the fucking episode, <laughs> and I picked it up, and I swear to God, dude, it was like unintentionally the worst fucking thing I've ever done, and like... <laughs> They were so nice to they you. They were about so it. nice about like, it. I don't know what it is though. I cannot. Tell. And <laughs> I don't blame them. And I had to just double down on it, dude. And is I, it Romeo and Juliet? <laughs> no, and that was the worst part. Was them guessing what song it might be? Because <laughs> was it that one by that indie Canadian band? <laughs> Tragically hip. Is that it? Is that Weak Kings? <laughs> Holy shit! Okay, eventually at some point I will be able to play a song on the guitar but i'm i'm really gonna pick my fucking moment now i'm not gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna make sure that i'm really prepared for that <laughs> so that when i come on i can actually surprise you guys with it because i felt so bad i really was proud of myself and it's then okay. i we i failed so hard have embarrassed ourselves on this podcast it's okay yeah we the, all have that one was i think the fucking primo <laughs> the though like let's <laughs> let's be real here no one can talk the fact that they were so nice about it honestly made it worse because they were like oh nice try man Good i job. really appreciate the thought oh oh no don't appreciate the thought make That's fun funny. of me Good call job, me a loser you attempted it you oh. attempted it oh it was rough anyways today in music history in, in, in what are you doing stretching <laughs> <laughs> i just golf bro i'm fucking tight I thought you were dancing. <laughs> you, Romeo, <laughs> and Spencer can play the guitar. If you don't believe me, I'm hand it over to me. <laughs> begging on my knees, <laughs> Spencer, please don't go on. <laughs> Hey, Siobhan. <laughs> Siobhan walks in right when we're reliving the moment that she witnessed live. Yeah. Uh. Talking about Spencer's fantastic guitar playing. What? Fantastic guitar playing. Oh. <laughs> oh, God. The look on your face was says just, it all. just, oh. That says it all. <laughs> oh, I do too. We could, uh, always, we could always make it disappear in post. We could. I, I definitely killed the microphone halfway through. There we go. <laughs> you know what? Here's but I'm going to keep it. And so there's just going to be a muffled guitar. I, sound. I do feel like it. Uh, here's the thing I'm going to say this. We can't make it disappear in post because I need to live by the fact that I did oh. that. It, it, I'm not touching that in any it, way. Yeah, it's way too awkward for mm. it to not be a part of it. I love it. I fuck. When I'm not here, everything goes to chaos. Everything went to shit, dude. <laughs> okay, so in 1929, the classic song Ain't Misbehavin' was recorded by Fats Waller. Nice. In 1961, the Beatles began their engagement as regular headliners at Liverpool's Cavern Club. They performed about 300 shows there over the next two years. 
That's impressive. It's super impressive. In 1962, Robert Zimmerman legally changed his name to Bob Dylan. We cool. talked about Bob Dylan on the pod, too. Nice. Uh, uh, in 1963, Eric Clapton quit the Roosters. In 1972, Brian Cole of Association died of a heroin overdose. Mm. 1987, Dave Stewart of Eurythmics and Siobhan Faney of Bananarama were married. Nice. Congratulations. Yeah. It's their wedding anniversary today. <laughs> congratulations hey. to them. Uh, in 1989, George Clinton released The Cinderella Theory. 1991, Rick James was arrested in Los Angeles and charged <laughs> with the blank torture of a 24-year-old woman. Oh, that's not as funny. Yeah, that's yeah. not as funny. Rick James. <laughs> Rick yeah. James, bitch. That's probably what he said, too. Yeah, probably. <laughs> in 1995, Peggy Lee gave her final major public performance. George Shearing and Mel Torm also performed at the show at the Hollywood Bowl. Nice. And in 2000, Madonna's video Music premiered. Music. Music. That's the song, right? I, I believe so. Yeah. Music. Have you seen the pictures of Madonna lately? Yeah, I have. They're interesting. Unfortunately. Yeah. I like how people on the internet are like, don't make fun of her, but like she did it to herself like intentionally. Why, why do like why do celebrities <laughs> think that like people care that they're aging? It doesn't yeah. matter. I would Doesn't honestly matter. prefer seeing a celebrity that looks like a little older. Like their age. Like yeah. their age, not yeah. somebody that's like so plasticked up that they look like they, like she looks like a cabbage patch doll that was like drawn on. Well, like if you look at Madonna in the 80s, she looks nothing like that. <laughs> no. Not even like, you know, like that aged not at all. No. no. Also funny that her and Michael Jackson had such a beef. <laughs> Dude, that's so funny to me. I don't know why, but that brings me so much joy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anywho. Anywho. Good segment. Good segment. It's, that was Spen Spencer's. Spen Spencer's. Spenny Speds. Spenny Speds. Today in music. Today in music history. <laughs> yes, for, for August 2nd. For uh, August 2nd, yes. yes. Okay. Uh, now, album that we are reviewing this week. Conveniently. Conveniently right there. No way. Uh, okay, usually it's a popular one. Sometimes it's one that we like. Sometimes it has a crossover. Sometimes it's influential. Sometimes it's just one from the collection. And, then, and other days <laughs> it's the Clash Combat Rock. All of them. Woo! All of them. Lightning bolts. Sweet. Pew, pew. This I love this album. This is a really good album. I I, I will say uh, I w- when we did our our, our uh, top tens, this was in my top ten. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's definitely I would say uh, like favorite punk album. I would I would put that out there. Um, you know when we talked about the Sex Pistols, uh, uh, obviously around the same era but very different sounds. Yes. And something that we're gonna find out when we get into the about the artists is that. Uh, fun fact about the Clash: Their very first live gig after they had only been together for like a couple of weeks was opening for the Sex Pistols. Nice. And then afterwards, they all went over to a club in uh, in the city that uh, the Ramones were playing at uh, to watch them, which is super cool. Uh, they also, uh, when they saw the Sex Pistols, they were like, "This is the sound now." holy shit, this is insane. And then they were like, let's make it even better. And I would say confidently mm-hmm. over their five albums, they did. Yeah. I mean, I, I 
this album has one of my just like favorite songs of all time with Rock the Casbah. Oh yeah, that's like in my top fifty favorite songs of all time. That is leaning a, more towards the top twenty-five side. I I um, would I would have to agree that it's like it's a top one, but my favorite one on the album actually is Straight to Hell. Mm. Um, which uh, if you don't know, if you haven't listened to it. Uh, you've probably heard M.I.A.'s Paper Planes, yes. which sampled it, and uh, it's so funny because the original version, I think, is so much better, and especially because it's a it's a protest song, and it's talking about mm-hmm. you know the unemployment in England at the time because of the steel mills closing, and children being orphaned in the Vietnam War, and immigrants having their houses firebombed, and you know it's got all of these different layers to it, and they're talking about uh, these these politically. Uh, uh, like these these social issues that are obviously affecting them firsthand because they're seeing it, you know, amongst like their friends and family and everything, but they're also going into a wider range of the world. And and oddly enough, for an album that was released in '82, a lot to talk about the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the album uh, about Sean Flynn on here, or the song about Sean Flynn on the album. I mean. Uh, who was a uh, war photographer, if uh, those don't know, who was, uh, I believe, captured uh, in Vietnam. Um, So, you know, it's interesting that this is also marked as their sellout album because they have some dancier pops on it. You know, they've got Rock the Casbah. They got... I would would say it's not as... Like, uh, it doesn't sound as punk as a lot of their other stuff and a lot of punk music at the time. It certainly has, like some funk influences there's like what is the drums they're all fucking um, reggae drums yeah they like got, bongos and yeah. shit and fucking and they they got a huge reggae influence on the whole thing and that's where like this album does fall into post-punk more than yes. punk and it's definitely one of the early new wave albums too mm-hmm. like it was it was one of the things like this you can hear on this album the influence that like uh, you know, like Dream Academy has, mm-hmm. or or uh, you know, uh, Aromatics, or like you know, like there's there's so many different ba- uh, uh, New World Order. You yeah. know, there's there's so many uh, bands that had such an influence from this album, and you can see it because it it was taking so many different genres and wrapping it up under the label of punk. Uh, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so about the album, it was released on May fourteenth, nineteen eighty two, through CBS and Epic Records. It's their fifth studio album, post punk new wave. It's the group's best selling album, and it was recorded in three studios between September of nineteen eighty and April of eighty two. The three studios were, uh, two seconds here. Uh, the Ear in London, uh, Electric Lady in New York, and Wanford in Hampshire, England. Producer credits go to the entire band as The Clash. Nice. And Glyn Johns. Now, Glyn Johns is super interesting because he worked with a lot of famous rock acts at the time, uh, especially a lot from the UK, you know, like The Stones, The Beatles, The Who, uh, Zeppelin, The Kinks, The Eagles, Bob Dylan, Eric Clapton, The Steve Miller Band. And in 65, he became one of the first independent producers in the music scene in, in Britain, where he wasn't tied to a label. That's cool. Yeah. And what's really cool about it is he was so in demand because uh, one of his like most influential things was that he was... Uh, where is this here? Oh, yeah. He was the chief engineer during the Beatles Get Back sessions for what became the Let It Be album. 
hmm. which is super crazy. That is cool. Uh, so the amount of work that this guy has had and like the amount of like shaping that he's had with all of these different uh, artists is really influential. But specifically with this album, it's super interesting because he took so they had they had been recording, you know, at first in in London. And then they recorded, they spent a fuck ton of time in New York and recorded there. Then they went on tour and they were, they were touring their, uh, their album that came out just before that, which was a triple, uh, uh, LP, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, that one is Sangrita's, I believe. Uh, but the other, the album that was before that was London Calling, which was a double album. The OG of this, when they had finished all their recording in New York was fucking 77 minutes long (laughs) And they were like, so they get a hold of uh, uh, Glenn Johns, and he's like, we got to tighten everything up. So Joe Strummer and Mick Jones and him went back into the studio, and they took every single song, shortened it all, compressed everything, re-recorded some of the vocals, made everything a lot sharper. And so that's what ended up making it a 46-minute album. They cut 31 minutes of material. That's impressive. Right? Yeah, holy shit. And made it so much more cohesive, too. Yeah, I didn't know that. I I would be curious to listen to the 77-minute cut. I feel like it'd be interesting to see what was taken away. Yeah, and I feel like like a lot of, from what I heard, it was a lot of instrumentation that was taken away or Mm. toned down. There was a lot of solos that got cut, which uh, I think is beneficial because this is, I would say, the album where they, they got to the point a lot quicker yeah. you know uh the, the the previous works like london calling is is a it's a long album it's mm-hmm. it's a little and you know it drags on at times i felt like this album even re-listening to it the, the like a couple of times leading up to this i was like it's weird how i don't feel like it's dragging on and like i will say when you flip it over to the b-side you're getting like after you get past, uh, you know, overpowered by the funk. You, you kind of it it, it it starts to sound a little too much the same. Mm-hmm. But up until that point, you have so many songs that could have been singles on their own and yes. just weren't. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. Yeah, I would agree thoroughly. I mean, I listened to it when I was camping there, uh, weekend ago, and then also listened to it a little bit just driving around uh, the past week. But you're, the second half of the album, I think you're a little right. I think it kind of molds together a little bit, but the first half is so strong. Yeah. Yeah. It's the second half of the album. It reminds me of when we covered that Jane's addiction album. Yes. Where I'm like, the first half is banger singles. Love it. And then it's just like, it's the same, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, okay. So uh, a couple of things to note about the album. All of the songs were written as a group with the exception of know your rights, which was Strummer and Jones and Rock the Casbah, which was Strummer Jones and the drummer, Topper Heaton. Uh, this was actually the last album that Topper Heaton was a part of the group for because they had to kick him out before they even went on tour because of his heroin and cocaine addiction becoming oh, so yeah. bad. Um, but the cover photo, which I would say is like one of one of those iconic like band photos, mm-hmm. uh, it was uh, done by the legendary rock photographer Penny Smith, who specializes in black and white photo and was known for her work on the very first Zeppelin tour. Nice. Uh, so That's cool. It, fun fact about her, too, that I think you'll, you'll find interesting. When she was a student in university, she ended up uh, purchasing an old train station, converting it into a studio, <laughs> and that's where she lives till this day. That's really cool. Right? What a, what a spot to live. <laughs> what a fucking crazy spot to live. 
Um, and the other cool thing is some of the collabs on this album. I mean, uh, uh, poet Allen Ginsberg mm-hmm. uh, is a guest vocalist on the song Ghetto Defendant. Uh, fun fact about that, when they did their uh, New York show, he actually came out and performed it with them. And uh, Futura 2000 is uh, the uh, uh, rapper on uh, Overpowered by the Funk. Uh, which is, uh, again, another really interesting thing because it's not like hip-hop was super fucking mm. old at that point. It was, no. it had it had literally been four years uh, uh, since, uh, what the hell is the song called? Hip-hop. Hip Rapper's the, Delight. Rapper's Delight, there we go. Yeah. Fuck, yeah. It, it had been four years since that song came out. So they were they were ahead of the curve in a lot of ways by, mm-hmm. by collaborating with artists that, at, at the time, a lot of, you know... Uh, uh, mainstream acts probably wouldn't have been going for. I'm not sure who this is here, uh, but he's got a cigarette on his ear and, and he's smoking one. <laughs> <laughs> I also am not sure who that is. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. I don't yeah, know. I don't know which one. Of them I don't is. know what each of them looks like well no. enough to know. Uh, I'm assuming. Probably not the drummer because I think he was kicked out at this point. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay, so uh, one thing that I wanted to mention before we get into the About the Band is that the working title for the album was Rat Patrol from Fort Bragg. I think Combat Rock suits a little bit better. I think so, too. Yeah. Rat Patrol from Fort Bragg, maybe there was a song on the, the uncut, yeah. you know, 77-minute long version. I can't imagine how fucking long Straight to Hell would have been in the 77-minute mm-hmm. long version of this album. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm curious. Yeah, I wonder how many songs they cut to. There had to have been quite a few because, yeah. like, because even if you stretched out each song by say thirty seconds to a minute, which is, I mean, granted, I'm sure that some were a lot longer. Uh, I still don't see how you would hit seventy-seven. No, you, know? you wouldn't. You would be like in the maybe fifties. Yeah, maybe fifties, yeah. like or like low fifties even. Yeah. Um, okay, so. Uh, the band debated how many songs their new album should contain and how long the mixes should be and Mick Jones argued in favor of a double album with lengthier, dancier mixes and the other band members argued in favor of a single album with shorter song mixes Uh, and that all was a battle until they talked to uh, Glenn Johns and he was like, (laughs) not a fucking chance are you doing a double album that's long as shit, dude. (laughs) Yeah, no no way, bro. (laughs) No way, dude. Uh, And it's so funny because during those remixing sessions, Strummer and Jones also re-recorded their vocals for the songs Should I Stay or Should I Go and Know Your Rights and the remix songs I uh, was uh, like the the reason they redid the vocals on those was they were trying to maximize their impact as singles. What I think is funny is that like Know Your Rights isn't as big of a single, obviously. Yeah. And Should I Stay or Should I Go didn't even crack the top forty initially. It only got popular in the '90s because it was used in a Levi's commercial. Interesting. And then it got repopular in 2016 because of Stranger Things. Because every fucking episode in the first season played that song like eight times, and you had a whole generation of people that like mm-hmm. didn't see the Levi's commercial. You know, we're kind of in that in between where it's like, I think that we knew of the band for. You well, know, I think it also reasons. was it not in Rock Band. It was yes. Yes, I, it's where I think I first listened to it. Might have been Rock Band. And like on the Wii, in like two thousand seven. Ooh, yeah. Because I remember the start. It's like. 
Yeah, you had to do like something funky for that. Don't it? Yeah, I think you might have had to hit the mic. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Man, Rock Band was fucking great. Was the best. I kind of want to like pull it out and play it again. I still have the drum set and the guitar. That's what. That's where we start our Misfits gaming stream. We just play Rock Band. Expert on everything. (laughs) That would be fucking (laughs) dog shit, (laughs) dude. I would still be able to do expert bass. I think though, because bass was so easy. Because like, (laughs) no matter what it was, it was literally just four notes, and you would just Mm -hmm. go back and forth. And like, you could only get a hundred percent if you were up strumming. Nah, the real challenge was I used to play guitar and sing at the same time. Ooh, yeah, I did that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember. I remember. Uh, I got Rock Band. I won it in a draw mm-hmm. at like my local like electronics store. I won it in a draw, and I was so fucking stoked. And then uh, Beatles Rock Band came out, and my grandparents bought me that for my birthday. Yeah, and then you... me and my two friends, Colton and Tor, fucking jammed out to it, and Tor poorly sang the Beatles really loudly. I have a really embarrassing Rock Band story. When Rock Band first came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was, like, playing the shit out of it, right? And I was playing by myself. I was playing the drums and singing at the same time. My mom was on my phone, on the phone with Gra- my Grammy. And my mom was like, hey, listen to Aaron. And she, like, put it on speaker while I was back in. My Grammy was like, oh, that's so good. Like, good job. <laughs> I was, like, singing the Rolling Stones. I was like, whoa, children. <laughs> it's just a shot away. It's just a shot. I remember my grandma's on speakerphone. My brother came out. He's like, "What the fuck is going on?" <laughs> I was like, "Fucking playing the drums and singing at the same time." My mom was like, "Oh, look at Aaron! Like, like listen to him. It's like on speakerphone on like a shitty house phone." Holy shit, yeah, dude! That's my, so. Funny. You know that new sound you've been looking for? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> listen to this. Whoa, children! <laughs> It's just a shadow wave. It's just, just a shadow wave. <laughs> <laughs> it's like through speakerphone. Oh, man. I just remember that. It's like one of those memories. I was like, oh, yeah, now that I think about that, that was weird. Dude, that's so fucking funny, <laughs> though, man. It's not even like look at him. It's like, no, listen. And I was probably playing like shit. I can only imagine. I was like eight or nine years old. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's even funnier because you <laughs> Yeah, I don't know why that just came to my memory. Yeah. I fucking I, I, I love how God cringy by Grammy. She's got a heart of gold because she's like, oh, it's so good. Like <laughs> Dude, grandparents are just like the best at, oh, at, yeah. at overlooking the cringe factor. Yes. I would have like if it was my grandkid, I'd be like, oh shit. <laughs> like, I'd be like, oh, shit. unplug that right now. Yeah. <laughs> Wait till I do the unplug sessions. Rock band unplug. <laughs> Dude, that's like that's like that episode of South Park where they're trying to get a million points on Guitar Hero, and then it's like, man, he's so good, he goes acoustic, and then it's just like Kyle fucking playing in like a a, 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 a like cafe, like a cafe, a cafe. What the a cafe, a cafe, a cafe. Anyways, that's okay. my rock band story. So, about the artist. Now, uh, I just did, like, basically before they formed, because there was a lot of more interesting shit mm-hmm. before they formed. Um, so, before they, they came together, there the future members were all in different parts of the London music scene. Uh, drum ga- uh, John Graham Meller sang and played rhythm guitar in the pub rock act The 101ers. Uh, which formed in 1974, and by that time, the uh, by the time that the Clash came together, 
Uh, he had already abandoned his original stage name, which was Woody Meller, in favor of Joe Strummer. Nice. Uh, which is super interesting because, yeah, Joe Strummer is a way better name, yeah. especially for a, 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 a guitar player. Mm-hmm. Um, I have an interesting Joe Strummer connection. So I'm not wearing it today, but my class shirt, I've worn it on the podcast quite a few times. I bought it from this business in, uh, in Victoria in Fantan Alley. It's this, like, small shop that this, like, British guy owns. It's got, like, a bunch of band shirts and everything. And I was like, oh, I, I went and grabbed the Clash shirt, and I go to the front, and I start talking with him. And the guy's like, oh, you like the Clash? And I was like, yeah. He's like, come here and see this. He has a fucking framed letter from Joe Strummer saying, hey, thanks for putting our merch in your store and all this stuff. Because apparently Joe Strummer had family in Victoria, so he mm. used to come to this dude's shop all the time. That's cool. Yeah, so I thought that was pretty cool. That's uh, right. And when I saw that, I was like, that's pretty neat. Um, Mick Jones, on the other hand, played guitar in a proto-punk band called London SS, which rehearsed for much of 1975 without ever playing a live show. They also only recorded a single demo. Uh, They were managed by Bernard Rhodes, which was a sometime associate of uh, Malcolm McLaren, who was the, uh, uh, the... you know, manager of the Sex Pistols, the mm-hmm. and owned the 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 store Sex. Uh, uh, not a great dude from everything we heard. Yes. Uh, so, anyways, he was a friend with that that knobwad, and the Sex Pistols uh, and his bandmates became friendly with uh, each other. So, Glenn Matlock and Steve Jones, who would assist as they tried to find potential new members. Uh, they auditioned for, uh, they held auditions for London SS without making, uh, uh, like, without making any headway on finding new members. And uh, Paul S- uh, Simon was uh, one of the people who tried out as a vocalist, and drummer Terry Chimes. Uh, Nick Heaton also drummed with the band for a while and then quit. So these are all, like, you know, punk rock, punk rockers mm-hmm. in the London scene who would eventually, you know, be in bands like the Jam or the Buzzcocks. Um, Just the the band name is probably tough to recruit. Yeah, it's a, well, it wouldn't have been hard to recruit in Germany. Yes. <laughs> you know, that would have been an easy one. The London SS, Sam. Yeah. I know, but I think it would be pretty hard in Germany, a lot easier in London. Than during, during this time. time this time was time, a yeah. big in, neo-Nazi movement in London, in while the, Germany in, was pr- in trying the 40s, to fucking... St- in the 40s, though, it would have been very easy. <laughs> well, they uh, were. The 40s. <laughs> yeah, punk rock in the 40s. That would have been great. Uh, it's a good punk rock name, Hitler's Bunker. Hitler's Bunker. <laughs> That actually is a really good name. Yeah, for a like an band. album name. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good. Wow. Yeah. I would listen to that. Could that be our rock band name? That could be our rock yeah, band yeah, name. Yeah, Hitler's oh. Bunker. That's that, fucking. Find us on Twitch. Hitler's <laughs> Bunker. <laughs> no, dude, we'll have to go on Kick. <laughs> They'll love find us. There. Find us in Argentina. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're on the History Channel. Uh, there's just so many clones of our band. Everybody's trying to copy us. Yeah, it's true, dude. It's, it's true. <laughs> that's it's what. True. That's what. It, that's what happens when you're the number one. <laughs> It makes sense why we're the number one in Chile and Argentina. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, all it, it, it all makes sense <laughs> now. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. All of our South American viewers that listen to us are blonde hair, blue eyed. Yeah. I wonder why. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
lot of a lot of Patagonia fans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so after the London SS broke up in the early seventies, uh, uh, Rhodes continued as Jones' manager. Uh, in February, Jones saw the Sex Pistol perform for the first time, and he said, "You knew straight away that that was it. That was what it was going to be like from now on. It was a new scene, new values, so different from what had happened before, and it was a bit dangerous." So, at the instigation of his manager, Jones contacted uh, Paul Simonin in March and suggested that he learn an instrument so that he could join the new band Jones was organizing. Soon, with Simonin on bass, uh, Keith Levine on guitar, and whoever he could find to play the drums, they were rehearsing. Uh, Chimes was later asked to audition for a new band, and then he got the job, so he quit. Uh, So right away, they're like still basically the London SS. They're not really changing much, except Mm. for everybody's just fucking leaving. Um, So the band was still searching for a lead singer, and then he uh, recalls Billy Waits, who uh, seemed to be like 19 or 18 then, as we all were. Uh, That was a direct quote. Uh, handing out, uh, handling the duties for a time, and then Rhodes had his eye on Strummer, with whom he had made uh, like just very brief contact with. Uh, Jones and Levine had both seemed uh, had both seen him perform and were impressed. Uh, but then Strummer was primed to make the switch. In April, he had taken the opening act for one of the band's gigs, the Sex Pistols, and he later explained. Five seconds into their first song, I knew that we were yesterday's paper. On seeing the Sex Pistols, uh, yeah. So, uh, basically, he was like, everything that we're doing right now is shit. They got something fucking special. Yeah, they're doing something different, yeah. And we need to figure out exactly what the fuck we can do. Mm. So, they approached Strummer after a 101ers gig and invited him to meet up at their rehearsal location on Davis Road. And then when he turned up, Levine played Keys to Your Heart, one of Strummer's own tunes. Uh, they gave Strummer 48 hours to decide whether he wanted to join the new band that they said would rival the Pistols. Wow, they fucking surpassed that, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and within 24 hours, he agreed. Uh, so in uh, West Way to the Worlds, Jones also says, I don't think Terry was officially hired or anything when talking about Terry Chimes. Uh, He just had been playing with us, and then he did not take to Strummer at first because he was older than them. He was 22, and they were all 18, so they thought he was an old guy. But basically his talent just kind of fucking overpowered everything. Fucking geezer. It's like like you, Spencer, in the podcast. Yeah, literally. Yeah, we're the same age. You're older. Yes, fucking geezer over here. Yeah, I'm fucking near in my late 20s. (laughs) Pushing 30. Pushing my late 20s. Yeah, Yeah, Aaron and I just hit our midlife crisis. Yeah, quarter life. You're you're closer to 40, bro. Quarter. I said mid. Mm. Yeah, dude, climate change is happening. We're dying soon. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so after rehearsing with Strummer for less than a month, The Clash made their debut on uh, the 4th of July, 1976, supporting the Sex Pistols at the Black Swan in Sheffield. Uh, The band apparently waited to make it on stage before their rivals in The Damned and other London SS spinoff made their own scheduled debut two days later. Uh, They wanted to, like, really show them up, uh, which they did. Levine was later becoming disaffected uh, with his position on the group, and at the Black Swan, he approached the Sex Pistols lead singer, John Linden, 
then going by Johnny Rotten and suggested that they form a group after the Pistols break up. <laughs> this is like again like fucking four years before the Pistols broke up, so yeah. kind of funny too. Um, hours after they d- their debut, they met up with members of the uh, Pistols and much of the rest of London's inner circle of punks and went to Dingwall's club to attend a concert by New York's The Ramones. In a quote, it said, It can't be stressed how great the first Ramones album was to the scene. It was the first word of punk, a fantastic record, says Joe Strummer. Um, then, uh, then, basically, the bands all got in a fight. And uh, uh, Paul Simone got into a scuffle with J.J. Bernal, who was the bass player for the Stranglers, which was a slightly older band. Uh, and they publicly identified as uh, a part of the punk scene, but they were not a part of the inner circle that the Sex Pistols mm. had created. So there was beef there. Nice. And it started a big old brawl. Nice. I believe it's called a white riot. Anyways, oh, okay. The London SS starting a white riot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, initially Strummer and Jones shared most of the writing duties. Uh, Joe would give Strummer the words, and then he would make a song out of them. Um, then, uh, okay, I'm skipping ahead here a little bit. Uh, Strummer took on the lead vocals for the majority of their first songs, and uh, further. Uh, oh God, I'm so sorry. I just lost my place Did there. Did you jumble yourself? A little I, bit? I jumbled myself. I'm so sorry. Okay, on August 13th, The Clash, sporting a paint splattered Jackson Pollock look played before a small invitation-only audience in their Camden studio. Among those in attendance was sounds critic Giovanni Dadamo, and his review described the band as a runaway train. So powerful, they're the first new group to come along who can really scare the Sex pistol shitless. Nice. Um, following that, on August 29th, they, uh, them and the Buzzcocks opened for the Sex Pistols at the Screen and the Green and the Clashes. Uh, that was their first public appearance since uh, their first opening gig. And the Triple Bill is seen as a pivotal moment to the British punk scene. Uh, though an enemy reviewer, Charles Cher Murray, wrote, The Clash are some of garage band that should be speedily returned to the garage mm. preferably with the motor still running <laughs> <laughs> that classic british humor <laughs> that classic dry humor oh they're so bad they should they should just die yeah <laughs> 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 they should leave the motor running <laughs> Fill it up with petrol and leave the motor running in the garage. (laughs) Take your lorry, park it in the garage. Take your lorry, park it in the garage. (laughs) Fill it with petrol and leave it running. Hop in the boot, why don't you, and lock yourself in it. Tea and crumpets, tea and crumpets. (laughs) Have yourself a cup of tea while you enjoy the carbon monoxide poisoning. Take a deep breath in. It's like listening to the clash. Take a sip and a deep breath in. (laughs) Really, really enjoy your final moments on this earth. For you did nothing but bring absolute anarchy to my ears. (laughs) 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 Fuck your jaguar. Of course, his fucking (laughs) name is Charles, too. Charles. (laughs) Charles. Charles. You know what I told him from the... from the clash, right? You know what I said? 
I said, park your Jaguar in the garage, <laughs> fill it with petrol, <laughs> have a cup of tea and leave it running. You started becoming Aussie and then you went know. Scottish. I don't know. <laughs> I'm all of them. I'm covering all the, t- the colonies. <laughs> you should do India next. No. <laughs> I'll, get my, I'll do my best Ben, ben Kingsley impression and I can, I can knock both out at the same time. <laughs> Holy fuck. <laughs> okay, so uh, this is like a, this is a fun fact the last thing about the artist that I'm going to yes. say so there's a confrontation between black youth and the police at Notting Hill Carnival in 1976 and that was super important to their development uh, especially with their political stances uh, it directly inspired Joe Strummer to write White Riot with images of Notting Hill Carnival riots uh, appearing as the Clash's stage backdrop and the back cover of their first album to be reprinted on badges and Clash t-shirts um, it was also like their first album was, uh, called garage land because of the previous comments nice. made, but white riot, the song, uh, the whole point of it was, uh, he was trying to say if the white youth gave as much of a fuck as the black youth did shit would actually get done. So that's why the song's called White Riot, which is funny because from a band that used to be called London SS, you would kind of assume that it was going to be something a little more racist than that. But I feel like I feel like uh, Joe Strummer did a lot to... They, they seem like, besides that, I feel like they're pr- pretty progressive. They are pretty progressive. Yes. And they're definitely, I would say, more, you know, talking about uh, 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 marginalized groups than other acts are at the time, especially mm-hmm. ones that are in the punk scene, you know? Like, we talked about it with the Sex Pistols. Obviously, they were you know talking about the disparity in wealth and whatnot but they weren't really talking about the disparity in uh in uh you know uh sexuality and your uh race or immigrants or or wherever you know and i also feel like the clash do it in a more nuanced and like in-depth way yeah where you know the sex pistols are just in your face about it sex pistols are like the queen should fucking die Yeah, yeah Fuck the queen, da, 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 da. Like if you know what I mean. <laughs> da, 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 da. Five years later, 50 years later, they got their wish. Yeah, they did. Yeah, there you go. She croaked. I wonder uh, if her and Sid Vicious are having tea right now. Probably not. No, probably not. No. No. I don't think the queen's in heaven. Lizzie's in a box. Lizzie's in a box. Okay, so notable tracks and there singles. Goes our British audience. There goes our British audience. We Sorry. got the Irish. <laughs> so that's true. We do got. Well, well actually, we don't. Cause no. Spencer keeps c- yeah, calling Ireland Fuck. a part of the UK. We're really. Anytime <laughs> we mention you, you do. He's like, oh, that UK band, right? Bono's from the UK. He is from the UK. Mm-mm. He's from the He's from UK. the Republic. He's not from Belfast. Yes. Important. Yes. <laughs> okay, so, notable tracks and singles. Mm-hmm. First song on the album, it was their first single, Know Your Rights, uh, released as a single. Uh, it uh, uh, did not chart, um, which is a bit of a shame. It's a good song, though. It starts out very strong. starts the album out very strong, mm-hmm. I think. I like how it starts with, this is a public service announcement with guitars. <laughs> yeah, it's a little, it's a little, it's a little corny for the time. It, yeah, it, uh, now it, it is. Yeah, it is. now it definitely I, is. I, I'm not as crazy about this song as you are. I it's fucking kinda, love it's it. Little, it's, 
It's okay. Not my favorite. I think it's a good. It's a fair start. A fair I think. Start. I think it's a good start to the album in that, like, it, it does. Sets, it sets the tone. It sets the tone. Mm. I do like that. Uh, anytime that they talk about how the you know the the upper class can get away with whatever the fuck they want and the lower class can't. I like when an artist does that. I'm like, yeah, yeah you're fucking right. You're absolutely right. Actually, the Clash. It's really funny too because they. Uh, throughout their entire uh, uh, discography, they actually haven't made a fuck ton off of their records, even though the records sold really well, because they intentionally chose to make their albums as cheap as possible. Mm. So uh, at the time, it would be like uh, uh, four ninety nine for a single record, right? Like that's like the lowest that you could possibly sell it for. And their double record, they sold for five ninety nine. Pounds, obviously, so that would have been like you know fifteen bucks still, but that's good. That's good. Yeah. Um. So so you know, I think comparatively, like not that the Sex Pistols like really had you know they they were talking about a lot of the same stuff, but they and they obviously had a much shorter career. I think it is funny that the the Clash made arguably probably per capita less money than the members of the Sex mm. Pistols made. Mm. Uh, uh. Throughout it. Uh. Second. Uh. Single off the album. Uh, should I stay or should I go? Charted initially without hitting the top 40. Later charted due to the Levi's commercials yeah. and Stranger Things. Rock the Casbah, which charted at number 8 on Billboard. Uh, that and Overpowered by the Funk are really the danciest off of the mm-hmm. album. Uh, I know that a lot of people talk about this album being very dancey, but I, I, I kind of really only feel it with those two songs. I feel like you get a lot of you get a lot of reggae influence in a lot of the songs. Don't get me wrong, yeah. uh, but I don't think that it's nearly as dancey as as uh, as as those two songs were. Mm. Uh, those two, I feel like you could throw on a playlist at a club even today, and it would be fine. You yeah. know, um, "Straight to Hell," which was a full-on protest song, done very well. We've talked about what it was about before. Um, and fun fact about Overpowered by the Funk, uh, Polly Mandel plays the keyboards on this track. So I thought that was a little interesting tidbit. Who's Polly Mandel? I was fucking hoping you wouldn't ask. Who <laughs> <laughs> is he? I, I don't know, dude. Okay, I, then why is that a fun fact? Because <laughs> I thought that we'd sound smart if is we pretended. Is brother? It could be. Yeah, who's <laughs> Polly Mandel? Polly Mandel. 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 Yeah, who the fuck is Polly Mandel? Yeah, you know. You dropped that like it was like a gotcha moment, and I got you. Yeah, well, I was hoping you'd just agree with me. <laughs> like, hmm, Polly Mandel, yeah. I also thought you might know who it was, and then you'd say something, because I could not find anything about who Polly Mandel was. Polly? Polly. 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 Who the fuck is Polly? Uh, it's P-O-L-Y. There it is. P-O-L-Y. And then M-A-N-D-E-L-L. P-O-L-Y. M-A-N-D-E-L-L. Plays keyboards on this track. That's all I know. <laughs> we're, we're, are we all looking now? Mm-hmm. Oh, my. Well. He's got... He's, he's only credited... On the Clash, <laughs> Combat Rock. Wow, what a big name! <laughs> no way, dude. Yeah, he's only credited on the Clash, Combat Rock, according to Discogs. You know what? My favorite wow. part about this is that I, I literally was like, I don't know who that is, but I'm gonna put it in there. And then I was thinking, Aaron might know who this is, so I'm just gonna pretend like I know oh, who this his is. His real name is Tommy Mandel. Tommy Mandel. Yeah. Tommy Mandel. Mm-hmm. Tommy Mandel. Tommy Mandel. <laughs> 
Tommy Mandel. Tommy Mandel. Oh, he's got a little bit more stuff going D- on. Does he have more stuff going yeah, on? Yeah, he's American keyboardist. Ooh. Most notable for playing with Brian Adams from Ooh. 1981 to 1998. Oh, shit. So that cuts like a knife then. Yeah. That's yeah. a deep cut. Um, he's played with... Uh, does it, this, might not, this might be a different guy. Might be a different guy? Yeah, he did He did play on Cuts Like a Knife. Oh. Oh, no, it's the same guy. So he's played with Brian Adams. Nice. He's played with Dire Straits. Nice. On Money for Nothing. Ooh. Yeah, uh, Ian Hunter. Nice. The Clash. Nice. Bon Jovi. Nice. David Johansson. Nice. Peter Wolf. Nice. Little Steven. Nice. Nils Lofgren, the B-52s. Nice. John Waite, Cindy Lauper, The Pretenders, Tina Turner, Ellen Foley, Elliot Murphy, and Hilly Michaels. Nice, 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 nice. You just learned. I just learned. I just learned something. See? It's a good thing I put that in there. But mostly with Brian Adams. That does make sense. Yeah. Yeah. But there you go. Lesson. There you go. He's from New York. I wonder where Paulie was in the summer of 69. I don't know. He was only active from. He started being active in 1981. Oh, he started while he was in his, like in his late 30s. Oh, there you go. Well, that's pretty cool. Fun fact. I just taught you something. Yeah. There you go. I learned. Nice. Well, shucks. That fucking polymandel. Man, that that warms the cockles of my heart. Nice. That made just my. Just learn something. Just learn something. Made my pee pee feel real good. Got a good. Canadian connection, a Brian Adams connection. Yeah. To the Clash. Yeah, to the Clash. Which is good that I put it in there. Yeah. There you go. So I'm quite proud of myself mm-hmm. for doing none of the research on that. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Okay, so reception of the album, nothing nothing much here uh, except for certified gold in the U.K. and Canada and two yes. times platinum in the U.S. Nice. Uh, number two on the U.K. charts, number seven on the Billboard pop charts, number 12 in Canada. It uh, ranked at number four among the top albums of the year for 1982 by Enemy, with both Straight to Hell and Know Your Rights ranked among the year's top 50 tracks. Uh, Douglas Walk said in a retrospective review for Blender that, well, the record was originally seen as The Clash's sellout move because of its danceable sound and two hit singles. The other songs featured audaciously bizarre arrangements and some of Strummer's smartest lyrics. Mm. Uh, Rolling Stone gave it 4 out of 5, Pitchfork was 8.4 out of 10, Spin was 8 out of 10, and Q was 3 out of 5. Like I said before, it was their best-selling album. Let's get into the fucking review, baby. Alright, so every episode, we review on technical, musical, lyrical, album art, reception, and does it hold up. Technical element of this album. I think it's really interesting that it was cut down from 77 minutes, Mm -hmm. remixed a bunch. I like that there was three different recording sessions for it and we know that the third one was basically taking the first two sessions taking everything that wasn't like basically just trimming the fat and then reworking some shit it wasn't just trimming the fat they got full liposuction they got full liposuction yeah yeah. that that was a big old that's that's like 300 pounds gone that album was so fat it had its own tlc show dude (laughs) dude no no fucking (laughs) kidding straight up straight up yeah the learning channel (laughs) <laughs> okay, I have to say this when when we were on tour in in uh, Invermere, uh, uh, Gabby Rose, Siobhan, and I were so fucking baked in our Airbnb, and we're sitting in the living room. Me and Gabby are sitting on one couch, Siobhan sitting on another, and I put on TLC, and I had none of the volume on the TV, and it's just like my six hundred pound life marathon, uh. right? And I'm sitting there watching it while I'm adding into the conversation, and after an hour and a half, Siobhan's like what the fuck are we watching? Because she, like, finally looked at the screen and it was this guy just showering, like, trying to shower. It was fucking great. Nice. That was this album, though, beforehand. I, like, I, 
respect TLC. I do the too. The fact that they dove into like the shittiest content and they doubled down. Dude, they really did. After the Duggar family, they just fucking they went got for it. 90 Day Fiance, 90 Day Fiance after the altar, 90 Day Fiance. <laughs> like reverse Fiance. They got like fucking gay 90 Day Fiance. They got all of the 90 Day No Fiance. Little people, big world. Little people, bigger world. Littler people in the a smaller world. I'm still waiting on 90 day seance. Ooh. Um, where they That's a crossover with the History Channel, though. Oh, yeah. yeah or or yeah. W Network. Because W yeah. Network is all just fucking oh, true yeah, crime no, yeah. now. W Network ha- has the, like, medium. Yeah. Like, I thought that was on TLC. I thought Long Island Medium. Long was Island Medium is no, on TLC, but Long then. Island, uh, they have, like, three other mediums. Uh, 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 that's 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 Ice T's side project. That's that's his uh, 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 Law and Order. Pretty sure uh, he has a show on solo on A and E. Coco he, loves ice. He used to. That's what it is. That's yeah. what it is. Coco loves ice. It, you, oh that used goodness. to be. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was oh, around yeah. the same time as like Do- Dog the Bounty Hunter and like Chris Angel Mind yep. Freak. That'd be the best, dude. You you watch you, you watch Dog the Bounty Hunter. You watch Coco loves ice. You watch uh, Mind Freak, and then you get a first forty eight. Oh, Just dude. Oh, first forty eight went. <laughs> first so forty eight was fucking great, dude. Oh yeah. That was one of the best shows like to watch when you were sick growing up. Mm-hmm. Oh man, you just put that and shit then you on. Get sad because intervention comes on. Yeah. yeah. Although, although, uh, uh, fun fact: the very first intervention on a TV show was actually on Kenny versus Spenny. Really? Yes. When uh, during the Who Can Drink More Beer episode. Uh, uh, Kenny stages a fake intervention. He brings all these people in to sit there, and uh, that actually was watched by any executives, which is why they greenlit the show intervention. I was gonna say maybe uh, the first one was in The Sopranos when they give. Chrissy I was about a- to fact check you on that. I was like, that can't be the first ever intervention does it, on doesn't TV. Chrissy, doesn't Chrissy get an intervention in The Sopranos as well? No, 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 but like first real life, real life one, life oh, one. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But, oh, I still. I, <laughs> I mean, this is what Kenny told this me. This is what you're here for. I'm, yeah, I'm going based off of what Kenny told me. So right from the source. I'm, I'm, I'm going right from the source. I walk in. Your head was in the toilet. Yeah, Disgusting. I get my gust. I get my peaches out in Georgia. That's <laughs> that like, shit. It's my favorite line in the <laughs> in the Chrissy intervention. I walk into the bathroom with a bing. Your hair was in the. T- your head was in the toilet. Your hair was in the water. Disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so technical review. I'm going. I'm going high on this one because uh, I think Glenn Johns did a lot on this, mm-hmm. and uh, and you know, obviously, it still sounds like it's of its time, but it sounds crisp. Like it doesn't. It's not something that I find to be. Uh, like it, it's obviously dated in in more I would say a musical way than a technical way. I think I mean I don't know if this falls into musical or falls into technical, but how punchy the guitars are is like mint. I think it falls a little bit of both. I think it falls a little bit of both. Yeah. I'm going I'm going eight point five on the technical. I'm gonna go eight. Eight. Okay, so we're at an eight point two five musically. I agree with you. I love how punchy the guitars are. Mm-hmm. Also, drums on this album are amazing. Throughout the entire album, uh, there's you know, and there's there's obviously like some really heavy shit that we all can recognize. I think from Should I Stay or Should I Go, the drums on that are one of my favorite drum parts of all time. Yeah. Um, uh, and I would also say the bass is really interesting in this, the, especially on some of the more like slowed down tracks. Now, I don't know where we would balance out this too, because we talked about earlier about how the second half of the album isn't as strong. Um, I think some of that comes in musically as well. I agree. Um, so I feel like I'm I'm gonna go a seven and a half. 
I, I could meet you there. I would honestly maybe go a seven okay, on it. I think seven's fair. So so we're at we're at an eight now. Mm-hmm. Lyrically, I mean, the, like I do agree that it is his best like writing, like mm-hmm. some of his smartest writing. Still not my favorite, uh, like you know my all like I've mentioned it before. My all time favorite Clash song is "Train in Vain." Yeah. I think "Career Opportunities" that's, is up there too. That's what "Train in Vain" is one of my favorite as well. Yeah, yeah. and and and. Like I think that what I really like about some of those other songs from earlier uh, Clash records is that the vocals are a little more clear, so it's a little more uh, like the lyrics are a little more punchier. Well, I, honestly, like I've listened to the Rock the Cast, but I don't know how many times, but I had to Google. Like, oh yeah, Sharif, don't like it. I didn't know that's what it fucking said. Yeah, yeah. I had no idea either until yeah. I was lyric geniusing this. Yes. So here's the thing. I think smart lyrics, yes, hard to understand at mm-hmm. times. And I would also say sometimes this band does the does the uh, 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 analogy thing a little too hard mm-hmm. for, for me to go, oh, that's exactly what they're talking about. So lyrically, I'm going to go a hard seven on this. I'll go six and a half. Six and a half? Yeah. All right. So we're at a 7.75 right now. Mm, coming uh, in nice. Album art, uh, I would I would rate the album art pretty high on this. I think it's uh, I mean it's their second most influ- like recognizable. I would yes, say. Yes, I think London, I, Calling, London is Calling is more recognizable album cover. Yeah. But I would say that this is one of the ones that I've seen parodied a lot by a lot of artists, like uh, like a lot of comedians, a lot of mm-hmm. you know uh, you know when it's done in film or whatnot. I've seen this album parodied a lot, uh, and also uh, just. The amount of like influence that this uh, uh, photographer has had, this is probably one of the biggest things that she is known for, which I also think is is super interesting. So I would say for uh, album art, I'm probably going to go an eight out of ten. Seven. Seven. Yes. All right. So we're at like a we're at like a, a, a seven point eight right now. Nice reception. I mean, it was it was basically eight out of tens across yeah, the board. I would. Received. And and you know because it was it was their best selling album. You kind of got to go high with that. The singles did sell well as yeah. well. There was a lot of uh, there was a lot of singles that were. And I mean, heavily in club rotations. You know. Still today, you hear songs from this album on the radio yeah you hear it on the radio in tv shows Mm -hmm. on uh, like i said in club nights i think think eight and a half is fair yeah i think eight and a half is fair uh i would say now does it hold up i'd say absolutely i would say the first half more so than the second half but i would say that the second half isn't a bad record it's just not it's just not like you know the first half feels like a greatest hits and the second half feels like they're trying to have a theme with it yes so i I would say if we were going to go overall like 8.25. I think that's fair. I yeah. Think that's right in the wheelhouse of where it should be. So 8.25 out of 10 for the Clash's Combat Rock. Well, that was another fucking banger. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, that was the Clash's Combat Rock. Yeah. Anal Contusion. Thank you for listening to this episode of Misfits on Vinyl, hosted by Spencer Streichert and me, Aaron Walsh, and of course produced by Sam Sam the Tech Man, Sam Lindsay. If you like us, please rate us, subscribe to us, share us. Our socials are Misfits on Vinyl Podcast on Instagram and TikTok. If you want to send us an email with any suggestions or criticisms, uh, we love that shit, so send it away. It's Misfits on Vinyl at gmail.com. We love you guys. Thank you.